Welcome, everyone, to what is our first ever podcast, our uh, first flight or maiden voyage, whatever you might want to call it. Um, today's episode is titled, So I Need a Flow Meter. And this is for folks that want to understand, first of all, what a flow meter is, uh, where it is used, and most importantly, how to select a flow meter for your specific application. Uh, my name is Scott Lawson. I'm joined today by two experts in the field, each with uh, broad industry experience. We plan on looking at this from really at what I would say is two different viewpoints. First, of course, in the title, I need a flow meter. What's next? Um, and then look at it from the side of things as, hey, I have a problem. Does a flow meter help me solve this particular problem? So as, again, uh, my guests today are Dane Atuaru, a technical sales specialist in our measurement instrumentation business unit here at Spartan Controls, and uh, Morgan Rodwell, senior director of process technology with Floor Canada here in Calgary. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, Dane, would you be able to uh, just uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Scott. I really like that uh, that maiden voyage or into the unknown because I feel we're going to really crank it off today. So <laughs> have some patience with us. I guarantee we'll only get better as we go, but uh, we'd we'll, we'll love feedback. Uh, in terms of my background, I'm an electrical engineer and I've been involved with Spartan for going on 13 years now. Um, I've got some background in gas processing, combustion, um, some compression, and now on the measurement instrumentation side. So a lot of flow, pressure, temperature, level, and water cut. And we'll kind of dive in today. Uh, Morgan, I'll let you take it off. Thanks, Dane. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm Morgan Rodwell, and uh, <clears throat> I've uh, been with Floor for over 25 years um, and, and in the industry a little bit longer than that. And, uh, and I've done everything from, from, you know, very conceptual engineering through detailed design on, on things from gas plants and, and gas processing through oil refining and upgrading, um, SAG-D heavy oil production, and even into some, some strange stuff like uh, nylon yarn spinning. So, uh, you know, I've got a, a vast experience. I'm also a, a big proponent of making sure that you solve the real problem you're looking for and looking at not, mm. not solving the wrong problem um, with the wrong tool. Perfect. So suffice yeah. to say that uh, you guys know a, a good deal about uh, the topic of today, uh, which is good because uh, admittedly, I do not. Um, my background <laughs> is in uh, DCS and it's not to say that I haven't, uh, you know, worked with or interacted with, the, you know, different varieties of flow meters before, but it was always from that perspective, from a programming and configuration side of things or making sure it was displayed appropriately for an operator at a plant on the uh, HMI. So I'm going to, I guess I, I take the, uh, the sort of side of things that I'm, I'm the newbie, the layman uh, today. So we, I don't want to assume that all the folks that are going to tune into this are, are going to know right off the bat. Um, I'm sure most have maybe heard of a flow meter, but not necessarily the different types and sort of what's different about some of those and where they fit and why. So yeah, that's kind of my take on, on, on today's discussion for sure. So I, I kind of wanted to introduce this a little bit um, and ask you guys if you know a little bit about the history of, uh, of flow metering. I did a little bit of research on the weekend and was able to find out a little bit. So I just wanted to throw it out there. Um, so first, uh, you know, where folks wanted to try and um, actually meter the flow of, of a particular uh, moving liquid was actually in ancient Egypt, if you didn't know that. 
um, going back to actually trying to um, basically they were they were looking at sort of different canals and the flow from each different canal and they knew apparently the particular volume of uh, one canal to the next and they were actually doing this to try and sort of monitor um, crop irrigation and the different you know how much water was actually available so Scott I'm, I'm gonna interrupt you here you've sure. gotten like 10 brownie points for diving back to ancient Egypt <laughs> I, I did not think we were starting there but yeah you've you've you're uh, you're definitely above a layman now yeah. I, I, I was waiting for Bernoulli to come up, yeah. and he went way earlier he, than that. He went back to gonna, fundamentals. Yeah. That's that was, great. I, that was kind of the next. I was going <laughs> to transport us to, to, to Bernoulli. Mm -hmm. But uh, being that you mentioned it, I'll go right up to uh, 1908, where apparently that was when the first rotometer was actually introduced. Um, and, yeah, so basically the point is, is since, uh, you know, uh, the dawn of man, I'll say almost, we've been looking for ways to uh, meter the flow of a liquid uh, from one, you know, point to the next. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. And, uh, you know, this is, this is sometimes we think that, uh, you know, we're the creators of, uh, and we certainly, you know, modern technology, um, you know, we're involved in that and, and pushing the envelope and moving things forward. But, you know, people have been wanting to do this for a long, long time. Anyways, so... Okay, let's go to let's the go uh, the question at hand here. <laughs> so I need a flow meter, guys. Uh, what's next? What uh, yeah. if somebody poses that question to you? What where do we go from there? Well, you know, you know, I actually I really like the way you started that off, Scott, um, with the example from Egypt because I think that kind of hits the crux of what this conversation really is about, and it's less about the technology or the bits and bytes, and it's really starting with you know, what's important? What am I trying to measure? Why am I trying to measure it? And why is this flow value important? And so Morgan, maybe let's start at the beginning. When you get thrown into an application, you're said, I need to find a flow mm -hmm. meter. How do you break it down? Well, I, I think the, the first thing you've got to think about is what am I, why am I trying to measure this, this flow? Why, why, why do I need to measure that stream? Um, the, the obvious first question is, I want to know how much is flowing, right? And, and it may be that you've got a custody transfer application mm -hmm. that you really need to know how much is flowing in that, in that pipe or over a weir or whatever it is because the money is going to change hands on, on how that flow is measuring. So that, that's sort of your first one is, is that I need to know how much is flowing. Um, but it's not the only case, right? There are times when you're measuring flow for process control reasons, but it's not a custody transfer application. So I don't necessarily need to have all of the same accuracy level that I need on a custody transfer application, but I need to have it be repeatable and reliable. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's even less required accuracy when, when you start saying that I'm, I'm measuring something for process control reasons, but it's more that I'm using it to smooth out some other measurement. Like when you've got a level reset by flow where you're trying to say, well, I want, I'm really trying to control a level, but I wanna make it not change so fast, mm -hmm. right? To upset the other, other parts of the plant. So the, the first thing is, what am I trying to do? You yeah. know, I mean, every, every process engineer who's ever tried to mass balance an operating plant, you know, and I started doing this way back at the very beginning of my career, um, and then I've had to do it numerous times over the last 25 years, and everybody would love to have accurate meters on every stream in every plant so that you could measure exactly what's going through that heat exchanger or exactly what the flow through that pump is. Mm. 
but it's it's not a realistic a- ask, right? Nobody you're chasing that unicorn. Well, it's you're chasing that unicorn, <laughs> and and nobody wants to spend that kind of money to yeah. get accurate measurements on every stream. Yeah. Um, and because the, there's no cost benefit to it, the, mm-hmm. you know, the the idea that some guy's going to come along 25 years from now and want to know what the flow is in that pipe isn't a justification to go spend a pile of money on measuring what's going on in that yeah. pipe, right? right. And I, I think you hit something really key there. It, it comes down to a lot of practicality. Mm-hmm. And when I start looking at flow and flow throughout a plant, that's a perfect way to dive into it. It's a lot like that wooden board with pegs. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, not triangles, squares, and circles. You've got 50 different shapes. And really, it's finding that meter, you know, does the technology fit? Does the price point fit? Does my accuracy, my range? There's all these variables that really come into play. And so it's important to understand what works to make that pegboard complete, make that plant fit. And, and there's, also, there's also the trade-offs that you have mm-hmm. to take with, with some of the selections that you might make, right? So if, if, I, if I take an example of that, that if, I'm, if, I'm, if I go back to the, you know, anybody who's been in this business a long time or if you've spent time in an old plant that, you know, that's... Yeah. 40, 50, 60 years old, you know, there was a lot of plants that were built where everything was an orifice plate, <laughs> right? You know, you know, might have a rotometer on some really small stuff, but every, everything was an orifice plate or very close to everything was an orifice plate. Um, and then as people figured out that sometimes orifice plates are not a, the best option, they started with other types of meters that, that got used in different applications, whether they be turbines or vortex or, or whatever that mm-hmm. is. Um, but you, you didn't always understand what the consequences were of making that change, right? I mean, the classic example we've all run into is, is the plant that goes and puts a vortex meter in in place of a, a uh, orifice plate, but didn't recognize the, the low cutoff problem yeah. that, that the vortex yeah. meters have because they're so velocity dependent. And if you didn't shrink the line size or, or something like that, now your meter's range got a whole lot smaller than it had been under yeah. the orifice plate. It might be more accurate over that very narrow range, but it's not as useful to you. And you know, Morgan, I, I really like that example because mm-hmm. as soon as we start diving into flow meter, there's two big things that come into play. And one is the rangeability, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, as I'm looking, do I really need to measure down to zero? Do I really need to mm-hmm. measure up to a thousand? Mm-hmm. It's honing in because as we go from technology to technology, mm-hmm. orifice plate, vortex, great examples. Those are very different ranges we can measure. Yep. And what you hit on there is when you start looking at flow meters, it's very process tr- driven. Mm-hmm. and where we see a lot of concern is really on that low end, really mm-hmm. figuring out when am I going to start running into physical, you know, the physics of it, limitations in my specific flow meter. Well, and, and particularly if, it's, if you're into a process control application, mm-hmm. it, suddenly, I mean, if, if you've ever seen the horror of hitting the low cutoff on a vortex meter, yeah. when, when it's in a control application and your flow measurement went to zero and your control system goes, open the valve, <laughs> it's not a good thing. No, definitely not. Right? So, so you, you, you've got to look at those trade-offs and, you know, and, and also the trade-offs of what do I have to do to improve the rangeability of some of these flow meters, yeah. right? I mean, one of, the, one of the classic examples is that, you know, when I started my career, sort of there was a rule of thumb of that you, uh, when you did the hydraulics and you sized lines and how much pressure drop do I need to get through a system or to provide, size a pump, you know, everybody allotted a couple pounds to get across a flow yeah. meter because for an orifice plate, a permanent loss of a couple pounds was probably a reasonable thing to, yeah. to think about. But a couple pounds is not enough to get through a vortex meter with any sort of rangeability. 
Yeah. You know, and similarly, you're not going to get through a Coriolis meter on a couple of pounds of pressure drop with, and, and, you know, yeah. and get, get the performance you want out of that, that machine. Yeah. And, and the allowance that you say, okay, now when I do my calculations to, to size all the stuff around the flow meter, I have to take into account that, I'm, that there, there might be a penalty to choosing a different flow meter. Right. So, so when yeah. you when you when you look at, at a, the vortex meter is a perfect example. I mean, they're they're great in, if they're so sized correctly and, and selected in the right application. But if you have to say shrink the line size down yeah. for the meter run to get the vortex meter to have the rangeability you want, the pressure drop consequences might be pretty substantial. Exactly. Right. And and if you're in a in a very high pressure application, it may not matter that much because you've increased the the head on the pump by one percent or two percent yeah. or something and that probably isn't a big deal but in a low pressure application it might be the end of the world you know that's i really like that morgan because you mm-hmm. hit on a very key point the minute i think flow meter i immediately think accurate sizing mm-hmm. they go hand in hand oh you know like we can get really good guideposts like mm-hmm. oh i've got this gas run on a test separator mm-hmm. typically i'd go orifice plate and it's easy to start there but without mm-hmm. a good accurate sizing especially when we start thinking compressibility of different fluids, gases versus liquids. Mm-hmm. That, that initial sizing, that getting it down, understanding your pressure drop, understanding velocities, I mean, that is critical to selecting the right meter. Well, and, and even more than that, I think if you, if you get into the, the exactly what are my fluid properties? Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the, the, you know, and it goes again back to something I learned early on in my career, um, I, I don't know if you remember the big, the root charts, those paper oh, yeah. root yeah. charts, the round ones that, that had a, had a pen dra- drawing a line around them and you'd integrate them to, to find out the flow. And, uh, but if you ever saw one that was a cavitating, um, orifice plate where mm-hmm. you were in a, you had a bubble point fluid going through it and cavitating across the meter and it painted that chart so that it was useless. Yeah. You got no measurement, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and I have seen that come back over and over again through my career of, of orifice plates and vortex meters put in applications yeah. where they're going to cavitate. Okay, you, did you understand the fluid you, you were going to have yeah. in, that, in that scenario? Um, did the physical placement even of where did you put the meter? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, related to that is, is the, the, the example of, you know, you, you put a flow meter in and, and you check yeah. if, if you'd be cavitating across the meter and then you know, your layout guy decided that the meter could go above the liquid level in the source vessel. And that's it right there. Right? You know, I, like it's, it's very easy <coughs> to say, I'm going to look at my instrumentation. I'm going to just mm-hmm. look at my, my flow Ooh. meter in, in like a black box. And that's not the case. It's in a plant environment. It's downstream of a valve. It's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I've got reductions in pipe. Maybe I've got elbows or really crazy fluid properties that come into play. And so I, I find kind of the way you're hinting to there, we really need to take a holistic approach to when you put that flow meter in service. Well, and so guys, uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt guys. So I, uh, this just strikes me. You've talked about, uh, you know, various different types of flow meters. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, is there, you know, again, for the, for the guys who may not know um, that I'm, I'm trying to represent out here today, is, <laughs> is there any sort of uh, crossover, you know, like how does a, how does a person know that maybe is just getting into the industry, you know, when to go from one sort of technology to the next, because that's really what each type represents, right? It's sort of a different, um, you know, technology used to measure the flow. Is there a crossover? Is there a one size fits all kind of a flow meter? And, you know, what's kind of the, is there a a price point there where it just maybe doesn't make sense, right? Depending on the application. Maybe Scott, I'll, I'll dive in Mm -hmm. here. And I'm very curious to hear your perspective after Morgan. So 
I think the one sentence I liked uh, that you used there, Scott, is one size fits all. Because that is the most false statement that we could possibly come up with. But it's really important to highlight. And when we look at flow meters, I think we have to leverage some of the tools that we have. So um, obviously being auditory, I can't show you anything, but we've got a great flow meter selection guide that kind of gives you a, a, a simple red, green, yellow. You know, red being, don't use this here. This is gonna cause right. lots of problems to green's kind of a go. And where it comes into play, it's gonna highlight some of those things that we talked about, maybe gas measurement versus hydrocarbon versus steam, things like that, show some rangeability. But really what it is, it's get you to a starting point. And I think what's more important is really have that upfront conversation with, uh, with your vendor and really with your advisors and your specialists to really talk about, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I see typically used in industry. What's your feedback? What are your thoughts? Right. And start the conversation there. Like, how do you typically approach it, Morgan? I, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's have that conversation about what's the, what am I trying to do here? Um, you know, the, the selection guides are, are great because they tell you things like, no, don't try to buy a mm -hmm. vortex meter in very large line sizes, right? Yeah. It's just, it, the, nobody really builds them and, and the, you know, they've got all sorts of other issues when you get into big sizes. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you look at things like how much pressure drop do I really have available? Yeah. Am, I, am I down into the land of anubars and things like that on yep. flare headers or ultrasonic meters or something like that? Um, but also, again, look at what is the requirement that I have for accuracy versus repeatability and reliability. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and, and similarly, it comes down to that layout question that, that you had, because some meters, you know, when you, when you start looking at them and saying, well, if I need to get accuracy out of an orifice plate, I'm going to need a meter run that has a fairly substantial straight run requirement, the right, that has to yeah. fit into my plant. And, and you start looking at, at what does that look like in the real layout of the plant. And, and particularly if you said, oh, now I'm going to design my plant to fit into modules and mm -hmm. I'm going to modularize the plant. Mm -hmm. Can I fit this meter run in one module? Does, does yeah. the meter run define the module more so than anything else in the meter, yeah. in, in, in the module? That's a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. And so you, you need to think about those kinds of things um, when you're selecting that meter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, you, you sometimes see people want the, the one-size-fits-all or they want to write a spec that says, by default, use this meter unless you can otherwise justify it. And and my recommendation is that is never going to work out for you. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It because actually, so I, I know we're, we're mm -hmm. a kid-friendly podcast here mm -hmm. and we're not supposed to be uh, swearing, but it brings me to a D word that, that comes to mind. And I've got a love-hate relationship with this D word, the data sheet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now... Now, the data sheet has got all kinds of great information, but I think that's where it brings us right back to what you're saying, mm -hmm. Morgan. A data sheet might say, hey, a vortex meter is perfect for this mm -hmm. if I just follow the data sheet. But then when I start to go outside it, and now I start to learn a bit more, this mm -hmm. is a flare application. I've got incredibly high turn down, very variable flow rates. All of a sudden, I'm starting to say, my data sheet where a vortex might fit, maybe practically and looking at the application, mm -hmm. I should be looking at a process ultrasonic now. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where a data sheet coupled with good background information about what we're measuring, that's how you get a strong flow meter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you're, you're right in looking at just the flow meter and not the application can get you in some trouble, you mm -hmm. know, and, and similarly, to, you know, 
one of the things that I always thought was was funny at the beginning of my career was being in a plant and seeing orifice plates installed in places where they didn't have big long runs mm-hmm. like they didn't put in long meter runs to to improve the accuracy of the meter and it wasn't until in fact years later when i realized that meter was never supposed to be accurate yeah. right <laughs> that wasn't the point of that meter that yeah. that meter was a control meter yeah right? right it it could be off as long as it was consistently wrong yeah right, right. i like i like that word consistently wrong right? because that in a crux is the difference between repeatability and accuracy. Yes. As a control person, if I'm controlling and I'm always 20% off, but I'm 20% off consistently, I can program to that. I can I can make my pump work. My, my, the operators in the plant will yeah. figure out how to make this thing work. And, and you can make right. the DCS control yeah. the plant even if that meter is wrong. Yeah. As long as it's consistently wrong. Yeah. And, but and, on the flip side, if <clears> it, like, I like when you talk custody transfer. Mm-hmm. As much as I'd right. love to be 20% wrong at the gas pump every time I yeah, fill yeah. up, I know it never works in my favor. Right. So now all of a sudden, my flow meter no. is way more important. Absolutely. And I need to size so, appropriately. So, so that's that's where you get down to the, yeah. is this a custody to transfer application yeah. or, or a mass balance application, or is it a control application where the accuracy may not be as important right. as the repeatability is? So, so um, that leads me to a question, guys. Like, how do you, when, when you move towards that custody transfer application, what type of meter are we are we talking about? Is there is there one that you know it gives you the the accuracy, the repeatability you need? Is there a specific type, um, or does it really depend on what you're actually trying to measure? So, like, is it a gas, a liquid, or or what have you? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I, I think that, yeah, one, it depends on what are you trying to measure, right? Yeah. The meter sure. you're going to use in a liquid application versus a, a gas, gas application yep. or a steam application are quite different. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, there's there's a uh, can be a bit of an issue of scale of how big of a, a stream are you trying to measure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for a, for a moderately sized stream that's a liquid, you know, a Coriolis meter is going to give you probably the best accuracy yeah. um, and, and good repeatability, and it can measure the density of the fluid yeah. for you, right? So there's there's advantages to a Coriolis meter. Um, the the other thing I like about them is, is that they don't require you to sanitize a giant piece of your plant with yeah. a great big long meter run. Um, but they do cost a little bit more, Definitely. right? So mm-hmm. so there's, there's, that's the downside. Well, um, and there's, there's also something really important to think. Like, uh, I think it's really easy to hear the words custody transfer. Mm-hmm and have a misunderstanding about what that means mm-hmm. with respect to accuracy. And we've got great guidelines out there, mm-hmm. like AER Directive 17, which your measurement specialists mm-hmm. will be really strong on, but it starts looking at as less in terms of your individual components as more, hey, on this custody transfer line, I need to have a total accuracy of mm-hmm. blah. And that's not just the flow meter. It It is the flow meter. It is if I need pressure, temperature compensation, it is maybe I need a flow computer. And so really we need to start thinking about all these things and how they combine. And custody transfer can mean different things. Maybe it's internal to a company. Mm-hmm. That is different custody transfer than let's say I'm a midstream company tying in to a pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. So, so guys, I've heard of uh, and, and worked with uh, like a multivariable uh, transmitter in the past. What, why would you say that's, you know, you mentioned different compensations, measuring density, et cetera. You know, from the sort of newbie's perspective, is tell me why going with a multivariable would be better than perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, having different transmitters to take all those other measurements. 
Well, you know, that that's a really good uh, question, Scott. And I think kind of a Morgan alluded to earlier, again, this is another one of those trade-offs. There's gains and losses. So uh, one of the best I can think of is steam measurement. Steam measurement is one where we, we don't really deal with high-quality steam in our territory, especially when you look at what we're dealing. So when I say not high-quality, there's a lot of liquid there. And so what we run into that's a big problem in measuring steam is impulse lines or these big long lines that we let that steam go through so we can do the measurement those impulse lines especially with our environment very prone to fouling plugging freezing and so one of the things that a multivariable transmitter or meter might help you get around is eliminating those impulse lines it's all one body you reduce leak sure. points things like that so that's a great example of of a trade-off in the positive side that you can get but uh what are some of the negatives that you've seen, Morgan? Well, one of the one of the negatives of of uh, when you get into saying you're going to do pressure and temperature compensation, mm -hmm. and and there's those are separate transmitters, is if one of them starts to go bad, mm. right? And and you don't know that it's gone bad, or if somebody's done maintenance on it or changed it out. Um, I, I've seen an example where somebody changed a temperature and transmitter and put in a different range of transmitter, mm. um, but didn't reconfigure what the DCS thought it was going to get, yeah. right? And, and it changes what the flow measurement is. Right. Um, <clears throat> so so that's, that's one example of, of yeah. when that can happen. Um, steam measurement's another good one. You know, it's, it's another dangerous one where you look at, at things like, uh, or, or even, even wet gas measurements yeah. where, where you're, you're running them through and say you decide you're going to use an orifice plate because it's, mm -hmm. it's a good fit for the system. Um, now I've got these these line leads to the DP cell, <clears throat> and do I run the risk that one of them gets full of liquid? Yeah. Right. And how do I make sure that's not happening? Yeah. Right. And and those are the kinds of things you need to think about as you're selecting your meter, um, and selecting how am I going to lay the meter out to prevent yeah. that from happening? Right. Because yeah, we've right. all seen the the flow meter with the with the liquid filled leg, yeah. that's that's causing it to be wrong and now inconsistently wrong because that leg has got a different amount of liquid in it yeah. as, as the yeah, conditions definitely. changed. So is there an, is, would there also be an impact to like your sort of total in, installed cost when it comes to picking, you know, choosing one over the other, or is it kind of a wash, I guess, right? You know, Morgan, actually, I'm, I'm curious to hear, I'll, I'll give you one of the things I think about, but let's say with the same steam measurement, mm -hmm. obviously if you're removing impulse lines, mm -hmm operations, maintenance, installation, mm -hmm. that goes down. Um, it's one model, things like mm -hmm. that. When you guys um, are procuring or looking at this, if you have to do, let's say, three separate measurements, a uh, flow transmitter, a pressure transmitter, temperature transmitter, that would be you know, three different data sheets, three procurement cycles. Would that come into play? You, you might end up with, with three different data sheets. You, yeah. you might find a way not to do that, but you, yeah. you probably don't. Um, you may end up in, in different procurement cycles because you're going to buy the temperature and pressure transmitters on a different timeline than, than the flow measurement mm -hmm. device. Um, the, the other thing that, that I think is interesting is the question of how are you wiring these things, mm, right? That's a good point because, because DCS if space isn't cheap. Well, not just that, but if, yeah. I'm, if I'm using a multivariable controller and depending on how I'm going to wire that thing, it might be one cable. Mm. Right. But if I've yeah. got three separate transmitters, I might now have three cables. Right. And that cable cost, depending on how far back I have to run those cables to wherever 
whatever method I'm going to use, and I'm by no means an expert in the different ways to wire these things other than I get baffled by folks who are, (laughs) Um, you know, the, the, the question becomes you, you might find yourself spending an awful lot of money on cabling. Um, yes. right. to, to, yeah. to set, install three separate transmitters. And, and you've got to put that into the equation of yeah. making those decisions. Right. And then what about from a... Actually, sorry. I'll do one last one, Scott. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. There's also, yeah. there are some technical advantages, even if we go beyond and look at things like diagnostics mm-hmm. and features. And that steam is a perfect one. So if we look at a vortex meter, one of the things, steam is a very defined fluid. Mm-hmm. And we have defined steam tables such that if you've got your actual volumetric flow and a snapshot of your pressure or temperature, you can directly translate that to a mass flow utilizing mm-hmm. some of these tables. So if we look at Vortex technology, they now have these tables built into that meter. <laughs> so by employing right. this multivariable transmitter, I've simplified my programming, mm-hmm. my interfacing to get the units that matter, kilograms per hour. Assuming right. you've got dry steam. Assuming dry steam, <laughs> yes. That's a good point. Assuming dry steam. <laughs> so, so my next question that I was going to ask, you know, we sort of touched on installation costs. What about from a maintenance perspective, I guess, right? I mean, uh, I think about if I've, you know, if I have to look after three different transmitters as opposed to one. But the truth of it is, I don't know all the complexities that would go into, you know, maybe one, the, the multivariable is harder to, to maintain or look after than the other. I don't I don't know. I'm a- asking yeah. the experts here. Um, because certainly there is cost from the operator, right, to, to not only have the three installed, but then maintain them going forward as well, right? So yeah. thoughts on well, that? You, you hit a really good point there because now we start talking about inventory, spares, things like that, because now you can start reducing that. You can uh, know that, you know, if I've got a certain application, I can just grab this off the shelf and I know I can drop it in place. Maybe I'm not running into these rangeability issues. Mm-hmm. And then I think another thing that that really hits on, Scott, is understanding more than just the meter. Once that meter is installed, how am I connecting to it? Do I have uh, really easy software on a laptop? Do I have a handheld? You know, am I heart compatible? And more importantly, when I connect up, does that show me everything I need? And where that becomes really important, uh, let's take a Coriolis, for example. When I go in and I hook up using ProLink or a handheld, and being a multivariable device, I need to see my flows, my instantaneous. I need to see my totals. I need to see any pressure, temperature, water, whatever happens to be coming into that meter. And I ideally want to make it so that it's one piece of software, one tool. Otherwise, it's it's pretty tough if I have to learn one thing for my flow, one thing for my pressure, one thing for my temperature. And another aspect there is is, and I'm by no means am I an expert in mm. in maintenance or or maintenance costs, but when you when you get into the trading off those those comparisons, one of the issues that comes up is that if I've got separate temperature and pressure transmitters, yeah, then I probably have a separate thermal well, and I have separate isolation valves on a pressure transmitter yeah. that are separate from the multivariate device the, the option, mm-hmm. or if I use the flow meter, and so now I have to worry about do I have double block and bleed on that pressure yeah. transmitter or don't I? Um, right. Do I, should I have put it there? You know, would, yeah. would the mindset of, of the way the plant was built 20 years ago versus the way we would build a plant today change whether we would put double block and bleed yeah. on that, that type right. of thing? And I, I love that example right. because what you've highlighted there is something crucial. It's uh, thinking about once my meter's in place, obviously when mm-hmm. we think of proving or making sure a meter is accurate, do I need to isolate my line and mm-hmm. shut down my process? Or can I verify things with that meter running? Mm-hmm. And so thinking like smart mirror verification where you don't have to interrupt your process to verify. Mm-hmm. All these are things that are 
kind of can be difficult to convey on a data sheet, mm -hmm. but become really important when we start talking installations, operations, and maintenance, because as we know, shutting down a process is an expensive procedure. Well, and, mm -hmm. and that that's what brings up a, a good point about, you know, that, that touches on a much bigger picture mm -hmm. issue, which is, how is this pro how is this capital project being executed? Yeah, right. Because the 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 contract structures that exist and and the the who's making the decisions may come into that, right? Because if if you've got the designer who's designing the plant doing this on a fixed price contract and they have no requirement <laughs> to look at what the life cycle cost is, yeah. they're going to buy the cheap one. Yeah, right? right. Now, most people are smart enough not to write a contract that way. Yeah. But but it's one of those things you have to take into consideration that that if I, if I want this to be you know, nicely maintainable, and I want to worry about those life cycle costs, let's not get too focused on the capital cost of it right up front, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that that brings us back around to that, the question of look at the big picture. Yes. Because some of these these systems, when you start looking at what's the cost of that flow measurement device versus the installed cost of the flow measurement device. Right. Yes. It turns out the flow measurement device is not the bigger chunk of that cost, yeah. right? If I right. got big, long flow run meter runs, yeah. if I have to have separate proving taps, if I have to have, you know, a yeah. bypass around the flow meter to, for, a, for, right. for a proving station, and now this is going to take up a bunch of space yeah. in a structural steel module, and, oh, God forbid, somebody wants a building on it, yeah. you know, suddenly the cost of the flow meter is not the biggest thing yeah. that makes makes the helps that should be the thing that drives the decision making and it's that sticker shock right because you know i, I love that you keep bringing up mm -hmm. orifice plates because there's a great one that has this really mm -hmm. perceived cheap cost to it mm -hmm. but that's because you're just looking at a plate once mm -hmm. you start like you said <laughs> i've got some flanges i've mm -hmm. got to tap them i've got to worry about piping maybe i need a flow conditioner may you know i need mm -hmm. my transmitter that can read this dp i need to bring that back and there's all these things and 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 that keep building well and and you know you, yeah. you get into that oh yeah the, the orifice plate looks really cheap yeah but my what if my meter run is 50 feet long yeah right right that's kind of and that can be a big deal yeah. right and and you know it, and it layers onto all sorts of things like oh i've got a 30 meter meter run in a high temperature application high temperature high pressure application that is a really rigid piece yeah. of pipe and now the pipe stress to, around that yeah. starts to become a problem and the worst part, we haven't even talked about what happens when my process changes. Because, you know, there could be a few, we need to think years mm -hmm. down the road. And one of the things that, you know, mm -hmm. when we talk rangeability, a range of an orifice plate is only so much. And so, it, you know, when we start thinking about future proofing, that adds a whole nother layer into the discussion. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, 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 I've, I've heard it said, though, that, oh, I can always just change the plate. Mm. I'll just put a bigger plate. I'll just put a bigger <laughs> orifice in. Well, yeah. there's a limit to that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll change the DP cell. So I'm measuring, yeah. you know, I'll double the, the DP range on, yeah. the, on the measurement. But again, then your accuracy starts to go away yeah. and, and, and all of that. So absolutely. It's a it's a big question that you've got to think about ahead of time. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and it comes back to that that problem of you know, how much is my process going to change? Mm -hmm. um, uh, another classic example that, that I saw a couple of years ago was, what if the composition of the gas that's going yeah. through the meter is not what you thought it was going to be? Mm. Um, and what if it's not even something you thought you should measure? <laughs> right. Um, right. So, hey, hey guys, let's, uh, let's get <laughs> back to that great discussion so far, but uh, just a quick break for a, a commercial here, if you will. So stand by as I... Uh, pay the bills, so to speak. So 
Just wanted to uh, thank Spartan Controls, local impact partner for Emerson Automation Solutions, selling and supporting industry-leading brands such as Rosemount, Fisher Valves, and the Delta V Distributed Control Systems. We also represent a number of complementary brands such as Detronics, Fire and Gas Detection Systems, Yaskawa Variable Frequency Drives, as well as Hyundai Motors. Not only that, but we have in-house expertise and solutions for combustion management as well as compression and many others. Please go to SpartanControls.com to see all we offer. Thanks very much, guys. So let's take take that from uh, where we were there, uh, Morgan. You had mentioned, uh, you know, that uh, sometimes what you were expecting to measure uh, or, you know, wasn't necessarily what you were actually measuring. Can you... Uh, elaborate a little bit more on that yeah so so you know the 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 case of of uh any volumetric flow meter you know mm. whether it be a whether it be an orifice plate or a vortex or or an ultrasonic you know they're just measuring volumetric flow and and therefore to convert that into a a measurement that we're going to use for whether it be control or or uh, yeah. custody transfer you know i need to convert that into some standard volumetric measurement yes or god forbid a mass flow um, you know, or equivalent mass flow or whatever that happens to be. But, you know, the composition becomes an important part of that. When we talk about, you know, pressure and temperature correction, well, okay, but what's the composition? Because that may change, you know, we all know PV equals RT, but what about Z, right? And <laughs> yeah. the compressibility of that fluid. Um, what's the molecular weight in that equation? Yeah. Right? That all matters. Um, you know, so, so when you start looking at, at uh, you know, how am I doing the calculations and what what measurement am I using? How often am I updating the composition information? And you know, I, I really like <clears throat> that, that uh, conversation because when I look at a plant, obviously with compressible fluids, let's look at gas. Mm -hmm. If I change my pressure and temperature, that volume can swing mm -hmm. significantly. And the way I like to think about it across a plant, depending on where I'm measuring my volume, mm -hmm. I'm measuring in yen here, US dollars here, Canadian right. dollars here. And when I talk about this pressure temperature compensation and bringing it back mm -hmm. to standard, what I'm saying is across the plant, I want everything to come back to Canadian dollars. Right. So now that I can sit there in my plant, I have a mm -hmm. really good understanding of how things are actually performing. Absolutely. And, and you know, composition in most cases isn't going to have as big an impact as pressure and temperature mm -hmm. on how accurate that measurement is. But sometimes it does, yeah. um, you know, and, and recognizing that do I see a cycle in the composition of a stream that happens day to night, for example, or summer to winter? Or is it a mode of operation that, that I'm running the plant in, in a different operating mode? Um, you know, a, a, an example I've seen in a refinery was you know, in a hydro treater, where depending on exactly what blend of feed I was running, you know, the, the composition of the recycle gas going around and around in the loop ended up being quite a bit different. And when it's supposed to be mostly mm -hmm. hydrogen, you know, changing that changes the molecular weight a lot. <laughs> um, you know, the difference between a molecular weight of four and a molecular weight of six is a big difference yeah. when you're doing a, a flow measurement. Um, so that that's a, you know, we, you may not see that in a natural gas application where it's changed from 17 to 18. And it's, yeah. it's, that's not as big a deal as something that would change from four to six, yeah. but it's one of those things you have to think about of how am I doing the math? And that's, that's a great example because molecular <clears throat> weight, I mean, if we were to take that sizing and mm -hmm. take two different snapshots, <laughs> all of a sudden our rangeability really matters because things are going to swing think, significantly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you may find that the meter's rangeability, you fall off the end. Exactly. Right? Um, and then you really don't know where you're running. Yeah. You know, and, and the, 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 so, so that's a, that's a key thing because the other problem is, is that you can't measure composition 
all the time, right? You know, most times you're going to measure composition intermittently yeah. and update the calculation. Um, and in my experience, that's one of the biggest reasons why it's hard to mass balance a plant is it's not so much the accuracy of the measure, the, the meters themselves. It's how often do I actually have composition information? Yeah, that's an right? excellent statement. So that's a good segue, guys, because, uh, you know, great talk so far on the different types of uh, flow meters, different applications, etc. You know, so, uh, you know, our, even in the title of our, our episode here is, you know, I need a flow meter. What's what's next? But, you know, how do we let's say someone comes to you and it's like, well, I have a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. um, can a flow meter actually help me fix this problem? And I, Morgan, you actually the other week had a great example where, you know, you went in, you know, to to sort of um, I think it was to install some flow meters. Well, you you tell the story. Do you recall the story that I'm that I'm oh, good. He's leaving about? you with your thunder. Yeah. I thought it was going right away. Uh, was was this the air story? Is is yes, that when you're yes. yeah, the oh, air okay. story? That's the one. Yeah. Okay. So so year and this happened many years ago um, in a plant that shall remain nameless. Um, but it was an older plant, and uh, there was a, a desire to uh, you know improve the instrument air system in the plant um, and modernize it because it, it, the plant had a l bunch of older machines, older compressors, and. Uh, they needed to understand, well, how much, how big a new air compressor do I need to buy? Mm. So the decision was to go put flow meters all over the plant um, on the discharge of each air compressor and measure how much air, compressed air the plant was consuming. And, and they did it both on instantaneous measurements and, and, you know, gathering all the data and then, you know, totalizing it to figure out what the, on average, how much air do they need to come up with a size for an air compressor. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, they just slapped orifice plates on the back of every, every compressor and, and you can imagine that sticking an orifice plate on the back of a recip air compressor with no meter mm -hmm. run, you know, how accurate is that measurement really going to be? But, but we, they did it and, and they came up with a number and bought new air compressors and installed these brand new air compressors. And they were, you know, they were, they were good screw compressors. Um, and then they uh, started the plant back up um, and discovered they didn't need all those air compressors. And the reason was is that during the turnaround, they had left an air compressor on to keep the system alive through the turnaround, and somebody walked around looking for leaks, or more importantly, listening for leaks, and found some doozies <laughs> that they fixed. Right. And, yeah. and so the, the, it comes down to a question of, you know, the, did you know what you were looking for? Did, when you put those measurements in, yeah. did you understand that maybe not all the air you were compressing was getting to where it was going? Now, instrument air is a pretty innocuous thing to have leaking out of a system. Um, but you know, there was obviously a cost to that and, and right. it, it led to some maybe sub sub ideal decision making on, on how big of a compressor should I buy? Um, but it, it really comes down to, did you even know what question you were trying to ask? And I, I come back to what we talked about at the beginning. The, um, I'm sorry, were you asking me that? Is that the question it, you're asking It was kind me? of a rhetorical <laughs> question. It, it was a rhetorical question, but, but it brings us back to that, that thing I brought up at the beginning, which is is what is the purpose of the flow measurement? Yeah. Um, if, if it's a control application, do I need all that accuracy or do I just need repeatability? Right. Um, is it a, a custody transfer? Is it a custody transfer or custody transfer like application inside an organization? Or is it actually something where money's real money is going to change hands? Exactly. Right. Or, or there's a regulatory requirement. You know, I mean, one yeah. of the, the classic examples is the MARP requirements that the AER has yeah. on, on, you know, mass balancing a plant. And, and it's, it's kind of entertaining if you've never done it to go look at some of the, the uh, reports that, that the operating companies put forward to the AER about their, 
their you know their annual operations and and some of the correction factors they have to put into their their marp reports and and you think ooh that's a little scary that yeah. that that mass balance is out by that much um but in in you know in my experience those aren't abnormal errors in in a mass balance around a plant you know, if you can if you can take a mass balance around a plant and get within two percent, you are a hero. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. If you're in within five percent, you're doing well. Yeah. And and it it comes down to that it's not just meters, but it's mm. but meters play a big part in that. Um, but you know, and I think one of the things that people fall into the trap of is trying to find a meter that does it all, and and sitting there and worrying about the accuracy of a flow meter that's being used in a control application that is primarily a control application. Exactly. Right. And, and say, and, and then you get into this agony of, well, I need this great big meter run, or I have to buy an yeah. expensive meter because I don't have space for the meter run. But do I need that accuracy or not? Because if I don't need the accuracy, don't pay for it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's a really great point. Cause I, I even loved how you touched on the environmental side mm-hmm. too. Cause obviously metering, we're seeing it more and more as we start to move towards, let's stop mm-hmm. pumping gas into the environment let's take away those greenhouse gases yeah how do we attack that how do we because we know it's a tricky measurement typically mm-hmm. it's low flow low pressure absolutely we need an accurate solution that can help with our carbon credits and things like that yeah i mean a, a flare measurements are a really That's good a example yep. flare measurement va- vapor recovery units you know mm-hmm. what's coming off of tank farms and, and all of that kind of stuff those are hard applications because yeah. now it's no no i need accuracy and i need repeatability but they're not the applications that are easy because they're at difficult conditions yeah you know, it's, it's, I've always said that, you know, measuring things at high pressure is easy. Yeah. Measuring things at low pressure yeah. is really hard. Very tough. Right? Yeah. Excellent. Well, I think uh, looking at the time here, guys, we're getting to, or at least close to the end of our episode here. Uh, what I'd like to say is uh, hopefully that uh, any listener or viewer, uh, under you know, um, was able to, uh, you know, gain some knowledge here around flow meters and understand why one technology might be beneficial over the other. We had a great discussion around different applications and even sort of, I want to say, um, how, you know, installing some flow meters led to a better understanding overall of, a, of an application around the instrument error that uh, Morgan had covered as well. Like to uh, thank Dane, of course, as well as uh, Morgan Rodwell for joining us today and taking the time to be uh, a participant in our podcast. Uh, Guys, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully uh, we do manage to gain a a solid uh, viewer or listenership here, and we can do uh, many more of these. Uh, So hopefully uh, folks out there can join us again. Our next topic uh, will be Delta V modernization with Gabe Fantino. Any closing remarks, guys, before we uh, cap it off? Uh, I'd just like to thank you guys for uh, having me uh, on this uh, on this podcast and yeah. uh, to to try out the maiden voyage, as it were, and uh, and I hope people uh, got some value out of this. Right on. I'm thanks sure they again, I'm Morgan. sure they have. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Very much appreciated.